Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. In the post-Civil War South, many freed slaves relied on self-help groups known as benevolent societies to provide food, take care of the sick, and bury the dead. In a new documentary titled The Contradictions of Fair Hope, we look at the evolution of one particular Alabama society called Fair Hope and why its survival is arguably a struggle between heaven and hell. Today I'm joined by the film's executive producer and co-director, Esapatha Merkerson, along with cultural anthropologist and Fordham professor, Amy Cox. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. <laughs> Let's start off by describing the importance and purpose of a benevolent society. Who'd like to take that question? Well, the purpose of these benevolent societies uh, were to help bury the dead. It was a community organization that cropped up after emancipation as a way for newly freed enslaved people to have a community organization where they could help each other. Uh, and, and one of the main things was to bury the dead. You and know. why was it so important? You know, well, you think now that you, someone passes away, you put them in the grounds, sometimes you go visit them. Why was this so important to this culture at this time? Well, you know, it was after emancipation when, you know, burial was not important. Uh, it, you know, bodies were thrown into mass graves. It's evident of the African burial ground that we have here in lower Manhattan, even. Sort uh, of a disrespect there. Absolutely. And so one of the things that was most important is that you go to glory with a little grace. Uh, and so burials became very, very important. Now, can you describe a little bit, and maybe this is a question for Amy, what was the culture like post the Civil War? For um, newly freed enslaved Africans? Um, I think what's yes. most important to think about in terms of the culture for African Americans at that time was this sense to really create and perform and be a part of community. And I think we see that with the burial grounds. Burial is not just a ceremony. B burying your loved ones properly is a sign of your humanity. And I think part of that is connected to what we see in, among African Americans post-emancipation is this compulsion, this need to continually define our humanity through various cultural practices, burial being one of them. But also we see participation in, in governmental processes, the need to create community in a way that allows some entree into mainstream society while maintaining the distinct cultural heritage of what it means to be both African and American. Because Africans back then knew they were humans and knew they had humanity, definitely. but they were not even seen. They were seen as property. That's correct? right. And to be able to, as um, Epatha said, go to glory with grace was such a sign of being able to claim your humanity in a very public way. So um, if there were no funeral homes, how? what was the process for the Benevolent Society? How did they begin? Well, this one in particular, the Fairhope Benevolent Society, was created by six men within the community. They would meet monthly. The monies would be pooled. Um, burials happened quickly back then because there, there were no uh, advantages like embalming. 
we have one story where we're told that, you know, a wagon would come. Uh, body, you would sit overnight with the body to make sure it wouldn't wake up. Um, because that did happen, that people that sometimes did. were considered mm-hmm. dead and they weren't. Exactly, mm-hmm. so, which is why we have wakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they would sit overnight with the body, and if the body didn't wake up, it, they would cleanse the body, and the next morning the undertaker would come, and it would be buried right away. And what was the purpose? I saw in your documentary, The Contradictions of Fairhope, that they would put salt on the body? What was that about? Well, you know, there are many myths around burials. And one of the thoughts was salt would help with the preservation of the body. It wasn't what happened, but it was how the idea for me was, is that this was some thought process that stayed with these people through their journeys from Africa. Because we're talking about people who had no formal education. They weren't allowed to read. They weren't allowed to. All they were allowed to do was really work and give whatever they had to whoever owned them at the time. So they still kept some of their traditions over the years. Or somehow remembered them, that they became uh, a part of who they are. So tell me a little bit about um, the development of Fair Hope. Um, it was what, 18, the 1800s? Late 1888. 1800s. It was created in 1888. They so give me a feel for what the culture was like then. Well, you know, you're talking about cotton culture in Alabama uh, and and these newly freed enslaved people have to find means to take care of themselves. Um, and one of the things that this particular benevolent society did was they saw the need in education. And this was at a time that it was illegal. No, this is this is after emancipation. Right. Oh, so it was okay for them. So, but but still, what is so profound and what I think is so powerful about this benevolent society in particular, but all benevolent societies across the board, is the fact that we're still talking about. People who, although they are not perhaps legally enslaved, are still very much subjugated by Mm. white supremacy in in life or death ways. And so what it means to know that if you are seen to be trying to better yourself in any way, whether that's trying to provide your children yourself with education or bury bury your aunt properly, that is seen as being out of order. So what it meant to really come together and claim the right to be educated, to claim the right to bury your dead, was really not just a radical act, but putting your life on the line. Mm -hmm. And so I think we think about um, benevolent societies as people just sort of coming together, making sure everybody is okay. But in that act of community building and love and solidarity, very much on the other side of that is a threat to your own life and survival. On the surface, it looks like what we would talk about today is community organizations in a very benign sense. But when you really understand what was happening at the time, a lot of these a lot of these African Americans weren't their lives didn't really feel that different than they did in, in slavery in terms of sharecropping, in terms of being controlled by someone else, in terms of having to be tied to a plot of land. So Amy, let's get into that a little bit more. So uh we had Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. Um, And uh, what was his real motivation? Because there's been debate in many books on his real motivation for freeing the slaves. Mm -hmm. What so-called freeing the slaves? Mm -hmm. What was the motivation behind that? 
I mean, I think we can we can talk about that at length and argue that, and maybe that's for another show. But I, I just I, touch I, on it a little. I think we have to really understand when we're talking about abolition and we're talking about how people are able to claim their freedoms today in 2013 and what is stopping them from claiming that. Mm -hmm. And when people are sort of allowed um, to be citizens, right, or we give people more freedoms, why is that really happening? And I would venture to say it usually is tied to some larger economic or political interest that doesn't necessarily benefit those people who are seen to be freed or, or given more citizenship. So the idea is to critically think about the real reasons behind why the motivation between or the motivation and the reason why something is happening? Well, the motivation, not just so we can say, aha, that's why, really why you're doing this, but so we can start to change historical patterns, so we can really get at the underlying, the the foundation of why we have these social hier hierarchies in the first place. Now, Fairhope maintained a community for a number of years. But what happened in the 1940s that caused not only a cultural change, but uh, a, a change to Fairhope's uh, society turnout, so to speak? For many years was that the fourth Sunday in September was used as celebration. And that could have been connected to harvest. Um, and this was literally a party. Uh, it was literally a march. A march. Mm -hmm. uh, it was religious in its origin. And the members met monthly, but in the fourth week of September, there would be a celebration, which was called the turnout. And it was of a religious nature, uh, where you would thank God for the year, uh, and it was another time to, to gather for harvest as well. But it started morphing uh, in the 20s because this is also a very wooded area. So there were the, the religious gathering. And then by the 20s, there was moonshine. And each decade, something different was brought in until it has morphed now into this huge festival where upwards of 100,000 people descend on this area. There's no advertisement and there's no promotion for almost a week. And the religious part of it has somehow still survived. And the old folks meet that fourth Sunday to still praise God and have their meeting. Yet all of this debauchery is going on around them. And by debauchery, explain. So we have these almost two separate celebrations. One is the, the traditional fair host. Society turnout. And then one has turned into what's being called foot wash. Yes. What's the society turnout? Well, literally, it was described almost verbatim by each member. Everyone, the women would dress in white. Uh, the men would have on black or brown suits with gloves and aprons, similar to what we might think the Masons wore. There was a, a march that was set up. They had sergeant-at-arms. Literally, this entire group followed parliamentary procedure as right. well. So these uneducated yes. Africans living in America still had these organizational skills yes. to create these presidents and, right. and sergeant-at-arms, yes. et cetera. Uh, the treasurer. And there were great stories about this particular day, how it became 
um, what everyone looked forward to in the year. And they would start, and sometimes they said the men would even have blue capes around their, over the top of their suits. And they would start at the edge of the woods and they would walk through the woods singing spirituals until they got to the uh, Benevolent Society Hall and there would be an arbor set up and people would walk through the arbor and it was, and you know, they had, uh, people were lined up together. You couldn't get out of the line. It was very, very regal. Or, and very, very regal. Or, and very organized. There was an uh, elected queen that led the procession and they would walk through the woods to the Benevolent Society Hall and have their prayer meeting. And it it was a, a huge day of celebration. And afterwards, there would be fellowship. And that's how it started. And then 10 years into it, people are bringing food. And then one year, someone decides to sell food. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you get to the 20s, you get the introduction of moonshine. Mm. And now we've backed away from the society hall itself. And now we're starting to head off into the woods. With the migration of Africans to bigger cities and coming back, they brought with them people who might not have known about the culture at this time. So how specifically did all of this affect what Fairhope's ultimately started to evolve into? Well, the interesting thing is, and in and, and fairness to the Benevolent Society, it still meets monthly. So there's something about the uh, stick-to-itiveness of this group of older people now, uh, because the age range of the group now is pretty old. Mm -hmm. um, but No younger members yet? The youngest member turned 50 two years ago. Mm -hmm. So it, it is in jeopardy. Um, but it, it... How so? Explain in well, jeopardy. Well, because of what it has morphed, what has morphed around it. What you just asked, the question is, how did it get to where it is now? And, and that is because as people migrated, as we were saying earlier, they would bring friends and that friend would bring another friend. And then you have a group of people who have come to this celebration now without and, understanding and they it? don't know the origin of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it happens. And it also happens, it followed sort of what is going on in the world, where we started out as a country that literally believed in the individual and, 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 the, and, and groups of people gathering together and working together. And as, as money started to play in all of our lives, then it became about who could get the dollar? This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. I'm discussing the documentary, The Contradictions of Fair Hope, with the film's executive producer and co-director, Esapatha Merkerson, along with cultural anthropologist and Fordham professor, Amy Cox. So talking about the selling in The Contradiction of Fair Hope, the documentary, um that we're discussing right now in the documentary along with the vendors showing up there also was the difference between the benevolent society meeting in their sanctuary is that a fair mm -hmm. the hall and the hall and 
other meetings going on in what became the woods. So that almost drew a line between good and evil. Yeah, it, it, it's like... Is that fair? Well, yeah, it's like it's someone even says it as we were interviewing one of the members of the Benevolent Society, um, that there is a heaven side and a hell side. And the heaven... Two fair hopes. Two, two, there are... No, there is one fair hope and one foot wash ah. because they are not connected in that sense. So explain the difference. Well, the Fairhope Benevolence Society is the organization that meets monthly to 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 collect dues to bury the dead. The foot wash is a festival that has grown up around it. Um, and I think that no one runs the the foot wash. So it has had the opportunity to sort of run rampant in the area. And people found out that you could come down to this area and you could vend whatever it is you wanted to vend and you can make a lot of money. The difference is that Fairhope was for the community. The foot wash is for the individual. So that's where you get into the contradictions because some of the people that um, own the land are members of the Benevolent Society. Which we find out in yeah. the documentary, yeah. The Contradictions of Fair Hope. Right. And it's not just the buying and the selling. It's not just certain vendors out there selling, you know, fish sandwiches and soda. There's also some illegal activities that are going on out there. Yeah. Um, prostitution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Drug selling. Yes. Gun yes. selling. Yes. How does this play into how the community is supposed to come together? Well, you know, therein lies the problem with the Fair Hope Benevolence Society. And it's the reason why we wanted to do the film. Um, my uh, co-producer and uh, writer of the project and co-director Raquel Metcalf uh, is uh, related to uh, one of the oldest members of the Benevolent Society. His grandmother, Bessie Hunter, has been a member since she was 17. And they got into this conversation about the foot wash. And as a child, he knew it was someplace he was not allowed to go. But he knew that things happened down at the foot wash. <laughs> Dancing, drinking. And carrying on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so... About four years ago, he happened to get into this conversation with Grandma about what was going on down in the woods. And she started telling him about the Benevolent Society. And he came back to me and he said, you know, my, we have this story. I think my grandmother was telling me about this organization she belongs to and what has happened to it. And I was like, huh? Okay, because I thought we were going to do a narrative film. So I said, well, go take some pictures and come back. And he came back with these pictures of the foot wash that were astounding. Mm -hmm. And my question to him was, I thought you said your grandmother belonged to this group. Right, mm -hmm. because the pictures uh, in the documentary that I, that I saw um, how do I describe them? Were were explicit, explicit. Yes. That um, would be vivid. 
Very, mm-hmm. very much so. Quite a few people without clothes on, yeah. <laughs> right. dancing, walking in the streets. There were vendors that were lined along the streets, and it was a road, and yeah. you had people selling anything and everything, and yeah. that does mean anything and everything. So his grandmother was telling him this story. And we decided that we needed to see and know how an organization that started with such a noble idea, how it can devolve into the foot wash. And so that's what we charged ourselves with. What we discovered is that when you lose your history, then you lose your place and you lose your future, you lose your focus. And that's what happened down in this little area. I got an opportunity to view the contradictions of Fair Hope. And one of the questions that I had towards the end of the film was, why hadn't some of the people at the foot wash, some of the people who were partaking in illegal activity, let's say that, they said after 150 years of this organization. It's 125 years old. Oh, it's 100. Old. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you. 125 years of this organization, you know, this community group, they had never, ever heard of it like your, like your friend. Whose responsibility was it or is it to let people know? Well, I think was it grandma's responsibility? Well, I think was it? it's a number of things. I think, you know, there was a time where, you know, elders passed on history. I think it was a time where young people questioned had, you know, I think we have to get back to that time where um, where our history was very important to us. You know, there there is we know about emancipation and we know about the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. But there was a time in between that period. What were what were African-Americans doing? What, What were black folks doing? They were literally taking care of each other. You know, there are, were complete towns that were owned, banks and, and, and markets, and, and, and people were running for office. Right. And we were taking care of one another because there was still a sense of history, of the struggle that was made. And I think we have to get back to, to that point where we talk to each other and we ask questions um, of each other. And, and we don't let our, our grandmothers go without sitting down. And, and especially now mm-hmm. with phone cameras and the ability to record. To Skype mm-hmm. and all these ways to connect There's, with each other. There, it's a, it's a, an amazing time for, and I, I'm not going to say just young people because old folks have a, are involved in the foot wash too. Right. You know, we it's time for us to to get back to to the uh, being able to share our history because you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've come from. Right. We understand that there were some illegal there is currently some illegal activity going at going on at the foot wash. However, it's not all that cut and dry because you do have some owners of the land who are actually um, renting out their land to some of these people selling things that are illegal and or immoral and or not good for the community. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a cut and dry 
issue, is it? So you have this benevolent society that's that's that is you have older people in it. Right. You have them not having the financial support that they had, not having the community support that they had. That's the the benevolent society. The foot wash has vendors who are trying to make money, landowners, some, not all, who are also are sort of interested in I want to get paid for my land. Mm-hmm. Why don't the two mix or should the two mix some of the money that comes from the land and some of these activities, maybe not the illegal activities, but some of these, some of the money that comes from the land goes into the benevolent society for the community. Or is that crossing a line that maybe some people don't want or shouldn't cross? Raquel and I are of different minds. On and this. Raquel is? Raquel is the uh, writer. Uh, he's a co-executive producer and co-director. He's my partner in this um, journey, he has hope for the Benevolent Society, that it will find a way to get back to uh, a place where it can be uh, functional and and community-focused. I don't necessarily see it that way. How do you see it? Well, you know, I think that the foot wash has taken over. Mm -hmm. The the place where you're going to have to start the work is within the foot wash. So he's saying keep it separate from the foot wash. Let them have their celebrations and let that be separate from the Benevolent Society. But you think there should be some kind of intertwining? Well, not necessarily an intertwining, but that the foot wash has to change. Ah. They have to find someone that um, can at least have a group of people who who focus on the foot wash and try to bring in a, to change it put up a tent for storytelling maybe do some a tent with jazz right now none of that is happening mm-hmm. but if you bring it to the people then perhaps it can change the foot wash it took a t- 125 years for this to happen it's not going to change overnight but I think that it's possible to keep Fair Hope going, but also make the foot wash change. That you have to start charging the people, and I don't mean financially charge, but morally charge the people who are setting up these tents there. And law enforcement has to come in there. But in the documentary, there were state troopers there who were patrolling the areas to keep people calm. However, they said, we don't look in the tents. We're just making sure there's nothing going on outside. Yeah, well. So how is that possible when you have even law enforcement saying, hands off? It, you know, it's really going to have to come from the people in the area wanting the change to happen. Do um, they? You've been there. Do they? There's no hope unless the foot wash changes. It's going to be difficult uh, because... There are only a few people making money, and it is not about community. It's about, you know, the almighty dollar. So it's going to be difficult. Essie Patha, mm-hmm. what do you want viewers to take away from viewing the documentary, The Contradictions of Fair Hope? Well, I want them to know that there was a time that we took care of one another, that history is very important, that it's time that we... Um, begin to have dialogue with each other, to remember and know our history. I think what amazed me the most about this is that I I knew so little about it. And there's so much in our history that I know so little about. I want to ask you the same question, Amy. What do you hope viewers take away from this documentary? 
Well, there's several things that I that I hope are get taken away by anybody who watches this film. The first thing is the idea that we are, as a community, at our weakest when we start to create categories and divisions within the community. And I think this film shows that so brilliantly. So if we look at the foot wash on one side and fair hope on another and look at the people who are supposed to embody these two places as different and at, at odds, there's never going to be any sort of productive transformation. And we're going to get an opportunity to view this documentary yes. and hear from Esapetha on, do we know the date? March the 8th, Friday, mm -hmm. March 8th. Everyone needs to come out. Um, the screening is going to happen on Fordham's Lincoln Center campus and the Lowenstein building on the 12th floor. Okay. We're having a at um, we're starting the screening at 7 p.m. But prior to that will be a wine and cheese reception at Mobia, the Museum of Biblical Art on Broadway and 61st. All of this information is, is available on the African and African American Studies Department's website at Fordham. You can RSVP there. I encourage you to because it's going to be, I guarantee you it's going to be packed and sold out. Also, you can go to Mobia's website and register there to RSVP as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot to mention that too. <laughs> Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's thank it. you. That was great. Great yeah. question. Yeah, really. <laughs> to find out more about the documentary, The Contradictions of Fair Hope, or to find out about the Lincoln Center viewing and Q&A, visit Fordham University's website. I'd like to thank the film's executive producer and co-director, Esapetha Merkerson, along with cultural anthropologist and Fordham professor, Amy Cox. I'd also like to thank my producer, Alan Kanlick. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarki and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Oh, come on, Dion. Oh, come on, Dion. He done broken my soul. Yon, come day. I was on my knees. I was on my knees. I was on my knees.